Hey everybody, my name is Jed. That means this is Church and Other Drugs. How's it going? It's, uh, why? How's it going? That is probably the dumbest intro thing that I just obsessively do. I can't hear you. I don't know how you're doing. Probably good, maybe. It's, what, 2.30 on a Tuesday. I'm going to say most of y'all are tired. Probably need to take some ibuprofen. You need to drink that second uh, energy drink of choice or some coffee uh, and just get through the day. You know what I'm saying? I'm all right. I'm doing good. Just got out of the sauna uh, because I have to make my body think it's dying in order to feel good about myself. It's nice. It's, it's, uh, it's very nice. Some random dude in there started talking to me about anime. That was interesting. Um, anyway. Where was I? Uh, so this week, today, uh, we have an awesome episode with uh, Dr. Matt Halstead, a learned man of science uh, and theology and all things cool. Uh, he's got cred, is what I'm saying, and he is going to talk to me about the UFO phenomenon or the UAP phenomenon and what it has to do with Christians, if anything, or like what it would mean if aliens are real or, you know, what exactly is going on? Does it have to do with Nephilim and all that good stuff? I like him because he, he has a very tempered view of things where he's... Anyway, I'll let you listen to it. It's very cool. Um, I also want to give a shout out to a new patron... Parker Sutton, I appreciate you, my guy. Um, thank you very much, uh, and thanks for the email. Thanks always to Eli Harris, who always sends me the good emails. Um, more of you should do that. Next week especially, uh, next week's episode with uh, Ken and Andrew and Ben, I kind of go off the rails on some rants, uh, so let me know what you think about it. Um, and as always, send me an email, churchandotherdrugs at gmail.com. Patreon, if you want to be like Parker, super swell, cool guy, consider, you know, donating, supporting the show. That'd be great. Patreon.com slash Church and Other Drugs and Storefrontier.com slash Church and Other Drugs. On to Dr. Paulson. Still, you carried me to sleep, leaving when the dream retreats, grasping for an older me, some faded image. Out in the far before me, can't tell sit your knees to send some subtle promise to scatter all their seeds to grow before they leave for life and all its consequential complicated scenes.
So where, um, what state are you in? Where are you coming from? I live in Oklahoma. Yeah. I okay. live in Oklahoma, but my, my school is located. Well, we're global. I mean, we have students all over the world, but we are located in California. Okay. Los Angeles. Yeah, you're, you're not too far. I'm in Louisiana. So yeah. 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 Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 Our admissions um, counselor, she lives in uh, Shreveport. So. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Very cool. cool. So Matthew Halstead, Dr. Matthew Halstead, thank you for, I think this is the quickest turnaround from uh, hearing someone that I wanted to come on the show to having someone on the show that has ever happened. <laughs> so thank you for that. Oh, that's great, uh, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm delighted. No problem. It's really, um, well, first, yeah, why don't you, uh, let's get your your creds out of the way. Why don't you just give a little brief, uh, who are you and what do you specialize in? What do you do? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I, I have a, my, my educational background. I, I, did, um, I, did a, I, I did a philosophy undergraduate degree. My goal was to, um, uh, you know, teach philosophy. And so I went to grad school for, for philosophy, but then kind of made a switch uh, midstream and I wanted to study theology. So I did theology and long story short, went to seminary, got into a PhD program where I ended up not only doing theology, but kind of did an interdisciplinary uh, uh, kind of study on uh, biblical studies and, and philosophy. So I kind of came full circle. <laughs> so yeah. my, that, that's my background. My my background, my my focus, I should say, is on hermeneutics. So the theory or, or the uh uh, the philosophy of understanding. So not just hermeneutics, like in terms of how to interpret the Bible, but hermeneutics in the sense of how to interpret everything. Like how do we interpret life and events and experiences and all those sorts of things. So it's a very broad thing, but I apply it mainly in my research uh, to the Bible. Is yeah. it, Okay, man, that's awesome. That's uh, that's like one of, you know, if I could go back and, and, uh, if I had a infinite lives philosophy, studying philosophy definitely would have been one of those lives. I'm definitely an armchair philosopher. Um, what, as far as your faith goes, are you like child of a Christian home, always been a believer, latecomer? Sure. Where, yeah. how, how would you classify yourself? Um, yeah, so yeah, definitely growing up within a, a, a Christian type of context. Um, a context where, um, you know, very familiar uh, early on in my life with Christ and Christianity and that sorts of things. Um, and so um, definitely took my Christianity very seriously in my teenage years. And, um, and so ever since then, you know, I've, I've been a committed Christian. And, um, and so yeah, that, that my background is Christianity, uh, for certain. So yeah. And so it's like, it's almost a, a tired out joke, but it's like, how did you avoid that? You know, it's like everyone, uh, Christians go to college, take one class and they lose their faith. Right. And you especially, so like you went into philosophy where it's probably literally like, <laughs> I would imagine, uh, some serious arguments pro and con, right. How did you navigate? Like, did you find it bolstered your faith? Did you like, like for the first time, find some things that you're like, Ooh, what, uh, what's going on here? That's a great question. And yeah. Uh, yeah. So philosophy has, has kind of like a, a reputation for being something Christians should not engage in because it could, it could, you, you could lose your faith, right? If you question your faith, you could lose your faith. And I don't buy that as an assumption. 
I think questioning your faith does not lead to, you know, uh, losing your faith. I think it just means you're questioning your faith, right? And so philosophy, studying philosophy will not let you get away with just um, unwarranted assumptions. You're going to have to investigate them. And so I think a lot of Christians did fear that. But, you know, I, I want to give credit to uh, what credit is due. I went to a secular university when I did my undergrad. And I had great professors. Uh, some of them, uh, you know, grew up in a Christian context and um, maybe later uh, decided not to be Christian. Um, uh, one one professor, uh, you know, still identifies as a Christian, you know, that kind of thing. But overall, I mean, every one of them, not in fact, not one professor was ever hostile to me. Mm. They, you know, I, I didn't have a terrible experience. That, you know, the, the token example of getting a philosophy degree at a secular university that it's a dangerous place for Christians. It was very inviting for me. Now, that doesn't mean that I didn't get pushback. It doesn't mean that I didn't get, you know, questions uh, or that we, you know, only studied the stuff that was conducive to a Christian worldview. By no means. Like, we we did, we read a lot of stuff that wasn't Christian. Um, and, um, and my professors were very, they're always very kind to me and welcome to me. They weren't mean or anything like that. And so I had a great educational experience from people who were not necessarily Christians, right? And so um, I I look back on that with with fondness, and um, I remember I do remember somebody telling me though, be careful studying philosophy. <laughs> don't don't want to lose your faith, you know. I know, and it, it's it, it's so funny because it's like you mean to tell me you didn't have a God's not dead moment where you had to challenge <laughs> your professor to like a. a a debate oh, you know, on God and, and then you converted him and everybody clapped. That didn't happen. No, wow. no, it didn't happen. You know, I mean, I, I would, I would give my opinion in class, you know, I would offer my Christian perspective whenever, you know, I could. Um, and I, I was never like made fun of, I was always challenged, yeah. but I was never made fun. I wasn't ridiculed, but here's the thing. If you want to go get an education and not be challenged then maybe you don't need to go get an education because 100 an, edu an education is an admission that you don't know what you need need or want to know it's an admission of humility that i want to go learn and so i mean i feel like that i'm a better christian for learning under the people that i learned uh and they were very kind to me and and to this day i have relationships you know with with the, with my professors um, I mean, it's not like we talk or anything, but I mean, just through social media and things like that, you know, we're, we interact with each other and I feel that's awesome supported. and they, you know, they celebrated when I got my PhD and, you know, and even though it was in Bible, you know, they were just very proud of me and I'm very proud of my school. So anyway, yeah, I, I could go I'm, re I'm realizing too, like, since, you know, I guess I just have that like proclivity and like personality type, um, because like my number one pastor right now is Greg Boyd and he comes from that yeah. philosophy background too. So it's like, I really, at this point in my life, I'm just at a point in my life where I need someone that kind of thinks about the ridiculous questions that I do that like, they don't really matter, but for some reason I can't let them go, you know, thinking about, I mean, just uh, the things that run around in my brain, like that I can no longer accept just at face value. And so it's really good to have people that think in that way as well, because that that's part of the reason um, I made this podcast, because like I kind of, you know, by the name, I kind of live in the intersection of like recovered addicts, um, tons of different spiritual practices, and then like church and Christianity and trying to 
a lot of people in the recovery rooms have a serious beef with organized religion, um, especially in, in Louisiana. Everyone's um, like, I mean, I can almost say everyone comes from like a private Catholic school. So they despise it. So anything God related, they just hate. So I was kind of like, look, uh, and hearing their common um, arguments or objections to Christianity and then being like, I mean, I don't think that either. <laughs> like, have you ever talked to like, not a dumb Christian, you know, I mean, to use those words, it's like, I, I hope, you know, you can, you can have faith in God without like leaving your brain at the door. That was kind of where I started from. And it's, and now I just feel dumb from talking to all these people. It's just, it keeps I do going too. I, going. Feel, I, I talk to a lot of smart people all the time. I'm like, man, I needed to like quit because I'm so smart. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So to uh to the subject that piqued my interest with you. So you were recently on um Preston Sprinkle's podcast, uh, talking about UFOs and the supernatural experience. And um I'm close with like the uh have you heard blurry creatures? Have you heard of that podcast? Yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so me, me and Nate. Are, are good bedfellows and so i'm i'm I've been in that space um had dr heiser on a bunch of times and it's so i've you know from even the first time i had him on in the past four years the interest in that stuff has like exponentially grown um which i guess it's it's one of those things it's like i um is Congress talking about UFOs because the interest is growing or is the interest growing because Congress is talking about it or is there more activity? Like what's, you know, there is an interesting thing going on, whatever is going on. So yeah, I definitely wanted to pick your brain about some of that. Um, sure. So I guess we can start with your thoughts on the supernatural in general, like, it's a real thing. Um, have you had any experiences? Uh, what, what, where do you land as a doctorate Christian? Is where do you land on supernatural things existing in this world? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we have this idea that that um, reality can be reduced down to the material world, to the stuff of you know of, of matter you know, rocks and trees and dirt and grass and bodies and such. But in fact, there are really good reasons to reject that as an all-encompassing worldview. Um, there seems to be really good evidence to suggest that the reality is much thicker than we ever, ever imagined. And, um, you know, this, this might be news to us as people living in the 21st century in a post-enlightenment world where science reigns, um, science in the sense of material, natural science. <clears throat> but but to earlier people this you know this was normal normal way of thinking and to the majority world even today right this is a normal way of thinking it's just the western world a western uh, you know europe uh, america and such um you know so so we're actually a very in the grand scheme of things we're a minority in the sense that we reject as a culture a supernatural realm and i think um, and, and so as for me, you know, I'm a confessing Christian. I believe in all sorts of weird things. I believe, for example, that Jesus's dead body was raised to life. Okay. And in other words, what I believe is that, um, you know, there was su something supernatural that happened on Easter morning. 
something uh, that um, can only be described as an occurrence within, to use Mike Heiser's phrase, in the unseen realm. And so as a Christian, I definitely have no problem believing in supernatural experiences. Uh, Yeah, I've had it. I've had a supernatural experience. I mentioned this on Preston's podcast. And, uh, you know, back in the day, I was more hush-hush about it until colleagues would encourage me and say, hey, yeah, you're not weird for talking about this. You're not weird for having this experience. And one colleague told me you should, if your school will let you, you should tell your students about it. And, you know, my school doesn't have a problem with it. And so, you know, I I just talk about it. And, um, And what I found is that when I talk about my experience, it opens up doors and gives out invitations for others to have um the freedom to share their own experiences and i've experienced that itself that people will come up to me and say man i have something i need to tell you (laughs) you know and they would never do that unless uh, they had heard someone else unless you create a safe space for them to do it you know and so so to go back to something you said earlier are there more reports of ufos right and or are there so just broaden that are there more reports of weird things happening now that you know people are talking about them it's in the news and so forth so are 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 there just more events happening or just people talking about them more you know i don't suspect that they're happening more today in frequency than they ever have i just suspect that the the times have changed and shifted and so more people are reporting them now okay and so they've always we we've always had experiences, but we've not always been given the freedom to talk about the experiences that we've had, and and so that's how I would describe the situation. Yeah, no, and I I agree with a ton of, and that's you you said one of my prime arguments and and frustrations with Christians that will you know struggle the struggle with the supernatural aspects of the Bible because it's not very heady or logical. And so they're just like, ah, these things are, these were just an ancient peoples trying to figure their way around the world. It's like good grief. I pushed back on that so hard. I don't think they were dumb. I don't think they were idiots. Perhaps they meant what they said. I don't think that's that crazy to me. And if I believe like this, you know, it's a, it's a Pete Holmes uh, joke. And it's just kind of like, I just don't, it's not a leap for me to think it any more bizarre that, uh, like you said, a man raised from the dead than I am born onto space rock with water contained by an imaginary capsule of atmosphere floating in space black. Like what, you know, it's all, it is all ridiculous. If you boil, if you boil it down, like life itself is an absurdity and, you know, from what I believe in in God, why, you know, if God is a spiritual being, then why would there not be other spiritual beings? And for me, you know, this, my through line to this kind of worldview, um, you know, I'm an addict in recovery. So I had a long history of drug use and psychedelics and with uh, the drug subculture, conspiracy theories go hand in hand, right? Just sitting around smoking pot, talking about the government and conspiracy theories. And so I've always had that interest. And then, you know, and I've always um, been a Christian in name. And then I would say like my last bout with sobriety, I like really um, got serious about my faith. And so then it becomes, how do I reconcile 
you know, the Illuminati and, and governments and conspiracies and aliens with like the Bible and Christianity and how how does that all fit in? And I just remember this the other day, but it was uh, I was actually in um, I was in a, a drug treatment center and um, I was waiting, you know, I was looking for a job. And so you just walk around town bored a lot of the times. And I went into a Barnes and Noble um, and I found a, the book of Enoch for the first time. And I was like, oh, let me check this out. Started reading it. And it was just like, huh, you know, just a literal like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> like, so they kind of give explanations for these pet theories I've always had like they're kind of confirming that like this it it just makes sense to me like this worldview makes a whole lot of sense and so that was the foot in the door and then you know finding Heiser who I you know for me that kind of gave academic um credence to these kind of theories that could be called like kooky and crazy and supernatural and all that stuff and so it really just cemented like i think like this is kind of what i believe to be the case you know i'm always looking for this uh grand unifying narrative and theory of the world and, and to me looking you know i'm also like a student of mythology and joseph campbell and it's looking at cross-cultural greeks gods goddesses pantheons like every the flood dragons like everyone's basically telling the same story every culture is kind of telling the same story um and the only reason anthropologists like make these alternate explanations is because they're like they can't possibly mean what they said do you mean gods told them how to build ziggurats like no they didn't they just figured it out it's like well maybe maybe they're not lying i don't know um so that was a long explanation for kind of how i got into this stuff and ironically though ufos and aliens is kind of where i really don't know what i believe about it ufos I, so and i have this journaled i actually finally did see one in 2013 in baton rouge louisiana I went outside, smoked a cigarette about 1 a.m. Uh, I looked up and there was uh, three lights in a triangle formation, um, hazy lights. They kind of like separated from each other, kind of in a kite pattern, kind of just hovered and then darted off. And interesting, extremely. And I, I mean, I went like stood there slack jawed went back i've still got the journal injury and basically just said i just saw a ufo and i don't know how i feel about it you know what what was that um <laughs> right. and so like you know in the today in my mind i can be like well it was kind of drone like maybe this was mm -hmm. just you know um like a testing of an advanced drone or something. i don't know but sure. either way it was like okay this kind of I'm curious how, how fast confront. did it go? How, how fast did it shoot off? I'm just just curious. It uh like literally from standstill to out of my uh, scope of vision in a millisecond. I mean, like it was there and oh, it wow. just like blurred light trail just gone. 
how, so. how how wide was your scope of vision like could you see the horizon or did it I, I was in a backyard okay. um with no canopy so essentially sure. just like open black oh, sky wow. okay. it was like a new moon so there was just a black sky yeah um yeah it was it that's interesting so you had a pretty good view of the, of the extremely situation. good and then yeah. i look i you know i on some online forums i was like hey my baton rouge folks has anybody ever seen this and mm-hmm. sure enough people have and oh so yeah sure like, huh yeah a lot of people report the triangle stuff you know i'm just curious was there was do you think they were just the three lights that were separate from each other even though they were traveling and moving in uniform pattern but or was there like solidity between the between the the three lights i i would say solidity I okay. would say solidity. It yeah. just, it behaved. And so it's so hard to sure. uh, retroactively think of something without my current bias, especially yeah. with things like like um, drone displays that can individually have lights and, and form whatever pattern they want. Absolutely, um, yeah. At the time, it looked like um, an obviously tangible object that was behaving in a way that didn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. so at first it looked like a solid object and then the way the lights moved i thought it looked like it was almost separating or hovering around mm-hmm. itself or reconfiguring or something and then it just flew off well that's interesting huh extremely yeah, yeah. yeah. and i am like not a ufo guy that that's yeah. why it was the biggest i was like oh crap yeah well where do i file this away in the old brain yeah <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. You're right. I mean, there the range of there are a range of interpretations. And I would say, you know, nine, 90, 95% of the things that people see are very explainable, especially with drone technology. I mean, you see these things at like the Super Bowl or big events, they can have a swarm of drones that that can make, you know, uh, you know, a face in the sky. And it's just super cool. Like, I just love it. It's super neat. But you know, those do do get misinterpreted. I think, you know, they're commercial drones, there's private drones and so forth that, you know, yeah, that could be what you saw could very much have been a drone. Um, I don't I mean, I don't know, I'm not saying it is but, um, but, but, you know, for me, what's what's most interesting to me is that. Um, yeah, I, I guess when it comes to this subject, I try I do my best to take the position of, say, a journalist where I'm not I, I don't, want to i don't want to land anywhere in terms of an interpretation i just want to dissect the structures of interpretation that people make when it comes to this so on in one sense yeah i want to know what it is okay i want to know what people see but in the other sense i'm I'm also very much interested in the experiences and the structure of experiences that people report because there's a lot of similarity in that regard and so um and the other thing i would say is I, I'm very interested when smart people say weird things. Mm. And I'm very, very interested when people who are in positions to know things that maybe we don't, and we'll never know. I'm interested when they say things that are just weird, because they they have the ability to rule out drones and commercial drones or military drones and so forth. And I mean, when you have somebody like Christopher Mellon, who, what was his title, the assistant deputy Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence or something like that. I mean, he was a very important person at the Pentagon. And I mean, he's writing blog posts that talk about crash retrievals. And and uh, he talk, he writes blog posts about um, 
you know, knowing people, well-placed sources, he says, that talk about having, that we have in, in our possession wreckage or, you know, whatever. I mean, now I'm not saying he's right. I'm not saying that's true. But what I am saying is that it's true that people like him are saying that it's true. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's what I mean. I'm just, I just, I just want to, I'm just telling the story that, that we're being told uh, from these people. And it is, it is very frustrating to me that it's not making the news as much as it is because, okay, take, take it like this. If people like Chris Mellon, people like Lou Elizondo, the other Pentagon official who came out with the New York times article and so forth, people like them, Harry Reid, whoever, when, when they say things like this, if they're lying, that's newsworthy. Mm. If they're mistaken, it's still newsworthy because millions of dollars are being put into their programs that end up being mistakes, right? If they're telling the truth, that's newsworthy. Either way, it's newsworthy. And I feel like it's it's just interesting to me. And this is just part of the, the cultural experience that we're having at the moment. It's part of the hermeneutic that, you know, the hermeneutic structure I was talking about. It's interesting to me that we're not paying as more attention as we are. Why aren't we? Why? What, what's our relationship to this phenomena? And by phenomena, I just mean the stories of the experiences that people have. What's our relationship such that people aren't that interested? You know, <laughs> what's your so? Yeah, that's that's what um, that's weird to me. I don't know. It's just so I'm super interested in it. Maybe, it, me too, maybe there's a bias me too. There, you know? And it's it's yeah. one of those. If you ask your neighbor, they are too, most likely. It's like it's it's around the water cooler. So it just yeah. off the cuff, your guess, do you lean more towards I can take it. This is how I can take it. Um, our news cycle, it just doesn't sell enough because it's not um rate, you know, currently we're all about rage, we're all about divisiveness. So they're just kind of like, Yeah, you know, people, it's not okay. What what else can we do with it? Do you think it's um just pure capitalism? news people like that's not that important or is it um they are being told to not is it do you go the suppression route that it's just kind of like oh yeah let's just tell them while we got coronavirus going on we we got bigger fish to fry and we're just gonna slide because that was that was insane i couldn't believe more people weren't talking they're just like oh yeah by the way ufos are real moving on (laughs) it's like wait 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 hold on and even still i don't think people uh it's that is what people have been you know alex jones acolytes have been wanting to be told for decades and they finally do it and it was met with a whimper it was just kind of like oh well whatever so i I don't know where where do you which would you lean towards what how do you explain that phenomenon there's probably not one answer i mean i feel like just listen, just hearing you, it just this is just Matt's opinion on this. But like, if they wanted to make a lot of money, if media companies want to make a lot of money, they should talk about this because they would make a lot of money. Because like you said, everybody's interested. I mean, I know people who are interested, but who will never talk about it mm. because it's just weird, right? And so that's that factor. It's just kind of weird. A lot of media companies don't want to talk about weird stuff. It's just it's weird. I, it it's weird to me, and I'm interested in it, right? Yeah, um, that's true. It, so you have weirdness. You have the weirdness factor. Um, what else you mentioned? Oh, like suppression. Well, okay, so you know, historically, we do know for a fact that the government did want to suppress this kind of this kind of stuff, and and that doesn't, I mean, in my opinion, I don't think it was necessary for nefarious reasons. Perhaps the government had really good reasons for doing that. They, you know, in the fifties, they wanted to suppress it 
not because of the UFO issue, but simply because, you know, they want to flood the phone lines with reports that could hinder the national security apparatus from detecting an ICBM from Soviet Russia. So they they mm. wanted to suppress reports and to suppress reports, they had to suppress the phenomena and what people were experiencing. And I understand that. I mean, I, I totally do. Um, For me, you know, I'm not like I, I've pushed against conspiracy theories. I've I've written against, you know, some of that stuff. And I'm I, I don't. I I would not classify myself as a conspiracy theorist. I think, uh, and I, I've published, you know, when COVID stuff happened, there were a lot of conspiracy theories that this was the mark of the beast, and I've published <laughs> yeah. against that and things like that. I've, and so, um, I don't, you know, I I don't go that route. I'm not really pushing a narrative or a, an interpretation of anything. I'm just really interested in getting the data out there and then then we can come together collectively and kind of figure out what the data represents and what it might mean. And so for to just to answer your question completely is I don't know. Um it's probably a little of everything. You know, maybe mm. there are good reasons to to suppress it. There are perhaps good reasons um for why people don't want it suppressed like Lou Elizondo. He he's Lou Elizondo and the new uh, con congressional office, it's called Arrow, the All Domain Anomalous uh, something office. I can't remember it off the top of my head. But um, what, what is that? I'm actually unfamiliar yeah. with that. Okay, so yeah, it's uh, so Congress. Okay, so kind of coming full circle hill here. When Lou Elizondo resigned from the Pentagon, he resigned sort of in protest because he was upset that that people within the Pentagon were not taking these reports seriously. And he, he I, the way I understand it, he tried to brief the Secretary of Defense, Secretary Mattis, and um, but he but the intermediary people between him and Secretary Mattis wouldn't let him. That's that's how the story goes, or at least how I understand it. So he couldn't get anything done. And part of the reason they were suppressing the story is that, as odd as it sounds, people within the Pentagon were not wanting Lou to investigate this because they thought that the ufo phenomena represented something demonic that okay. so i read that and so that's true it's a hundred well okay that's so why again i don't i'm not gonna say that is true what i'm gonna say is that it is true that lou elizondo said that oh, sure and, okay and it's true that harry reed the one of the most if not well the, the most powerful senator at one time in the congress he you know, he was the Senate Majority Leader. He came out and said the same thing in in multiple interviews and so forth. That there, so so yeah, the story. There are, um, according to them, there were people in the Pentagon who wanted to not study this, not because not because the evidence didn't support that there was a phenomenon, but because the evidence reminded them, or at least caused them to interpret. Or they chose to interpret the evidence such that they thought it was demonic because like, I think like what they we're, were scared type of thing. Yes. Well, that's my understanding. Yeah. 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 So, oh. so that this is this is actually why I'm writing on this topic because I'm a confessional Christian. I I I was a pastor and I'm I I still do um I'm you know I I preach and I'm a professor biblical studies professor and so I want theologians and biblical scholars, especially confessional ones, to start talking about this more because. The fact that within the Pentagon, apparently, the the fact that there are people who are interpreting this as demonic almost invites those of us who write on that topic or topics that touch on that topic. Um, it invites us to weigh in because 
and the reason is because not that you know i want to reinforce the demonic interpretation i'm not con personally i'm not convinced that it is demonic i mean it could be i don't know but um but i i think that we need people who are trained in in uh, religious studies in biblical studies and theology to help uh, help people apparently in the pentagon to understand what it means for something to be demonic right mm. you need you need experts in that so maybe if if those people would reach out to biblical scholars theologians and whatnot and re religious studies professors and say hey okay what is what does the bible say about demons or what what has religion said about demons and so forth and then they could take that and maybe have a better interpretation maybe they'll find out huh what we're seeing is not necessarily demonic and so maybe we need to have a different interpretation not be afraid of it or it could be the other way yeah definitely this is demonic let's turn the other head or not study this either way they want it they need to make an informed decision now it could be the case maybe they have reached out to people but i i, I I'm, I'm very aware of how biblical studies and theology often doesn't the, the insights of biblical scholars it often doesn't trickle down into the church for many reasons mm -hmm. and there's this disconnect between what my colleagues are writing about and what people in the church are reading so i suspect that pe the people within the pentagon who are saying this is demonic are doing that not because they've been educated by biblical scholars and theologians but because they've you know they just have the these opposite preconceptions. yeah like, it's, it's it could like be rumor mill that they're listening to conspiracy theorists or they're listening to you know, just un not yeah. well-researched books. And so I'm like, well, let's, let's bring people in who know this stuff. And so, yeah. And that, that, so that's just one reason I want biblical scholars to, and theologians to talk about this more, but yeah. So that, to answer your question, yes, it is true that there, that, um, from Lou Elizondo and Lou and, uh, Harry Reid, that these things were suppressed. The reporting was suppressed because they thought it was demonic. Whoa. And so, extremely crazy and so congress has created uh like an official oh, yeah. Yeah. ufo wing i guess you could call right. it or investigatory wing yeah so correct so lou elizondo the pentagon official i was talking about and christopher mellon the highly ranked or yeah not, not military but he was a civilian working in the pentagon um they have lobbied behind the scenes um uh, senators and the like to put language in um, into law that would allow people who've been working on these programs, these studies, to come to the Congress and tell everything they know. And in the bill, and by the way, this is no longer just the bill, it's legal, it's signed by President Biden, the whole thing. And, and I've read the bill, it's pretty fascinating. And so basically, the law says, you can come and talk to us through an office that we've established you you know a reporting office that's housed in the pentagon you can go and share everything you know in a classified setting even if you've signed a non-disclosure agreement even even if all of that we you know you you can tell us and we want to know and they mention this word or these words reversed engineering if you know we want to know about that and to me I mean, this was stuff of the 90s, you know, Whoa. Independence Day, reverse engineering yeah. a craft. <laughs> yeah. We, now we're now they don't say craft in the law, but they they talk about reverse engineering of UAP and uh, and all that. So I'm like, yeah, this is like straight out of science fiction, man. So um, and, and, and it, they don't 
they, they they're not interested in the reverse engineering of a russian mig okay mm, <laughs> or right. a russian whatever right right they they've they that goes to another office this office clearly talks about unidentified uh material uh, poss possibly so i think congress just wants to know if um, they oh and by the way the way i understand it this goes all the way back to the 40s they want they want information on old stuff you know so so congress has really done their homework apparently and i think you know they've they've got lou elizondo they've got chris mellon and others um and and apparently there, there have been reports coming out now that since the law has been passed that people have been coming forward now here's the thing that doesn't mean you or i are going to ever find out what they've said behind closed doors right is right. it because the law doesn't say you can tell the public it just says you can tell us in a classified setting right and it's yeah <laughs> so it's just more but that so what i like about that is yeah. though that it reinforces the once conspiracy the the common uh shoot down to conspiracy theories that i've heard um is that uh, you mean to tell me like everyone in the government keeps that secret it's like there's such a thing as compartmentalization like they don't know if they don't know they don't have to keep a secret right that I'm glad that's kind of confirmed that that is the way it works. It's like people in Congress, there are things that they don't know. Of course there is. Like, that's just how it's done. Um, and, and, and Lou has said on, you know, interview in interviews, he said, you know, potentially the question is, has ha, have laws been broken in the sense that people who have rightful oversight of these things, such as the president, such as Congress, have have they been kept in this in the dark? Yeah, and I think and... I think that's a really important question to ask, and um, yeah, and and so there, ha yeah, you're, you, it's funny because these these reports are old, right? This is not new, mm -hmm. okay, and there were always whispers and hints, and you just didn't know what to do with them because because of the stigma and whatnot. But here's the deal. Look, I will grant that 95% of all the UFO stories may be just, okay, fine, just say they're hoaxes or a mistaken identity. Yeah, okay, that's that's reasonable to say. But when you have someone like Commander David Fravor, who is a Top Gun trained U.S. Navy pilot um, and a high-ranking one at that, you know, when he, when he sees one of these things with his own eyeballs, okay, and he uses language like, yeah, this is out of this world, this isn't our stuff, right? I, that that piques my interest, <laughs> to, to say the least. Now he could be mistaken. Granted, it could be mistaken, and he's not suggesting. Well, I mean, he uses the words "out of this world." I mean, that, yeah, I can't quite well, remember all you... the whole context, but that's what he says. And so I want to listen to that. And um, and I, it just it should be, it, and it has been in the news. You know, and props to the media. I mean, this guy's been on sixty minutes, and and he's he's been making the rounds, which I'm thankful for. But. Mm -hmm. Do, yeah. do you remember um, the Israeli, what, like former Israeli defense? You know what I'm talking about? Like what he yeah. said about um, that was the most wild thing that I had heard from a government official. And to summarize, he essentially was like, oh, yeah, we've made contact. They're in contact with the governments and yada, yada, yada. Yes, of course. Like, And they're going to be doing these things. What did you make of that? <laughs> Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, so I, I forget. I didn't. I didn't, actually didn't do a lot of research into this, and maybe I should. But but essentially, the the thing was the the head of the Israeli space program. That was I it. Guess, 
the, the equivalent of our NASA, I guess. He came out and said, gosh, let me get this right. He came out and said, I mean, it's crazy stuff. Like, yeah, we know that there are extraterrestrials and we have agreements with them. I mean, yep. it was totally out of this, pun intended, out of this world, right? The comments yeah. he's making. In terms of what I think about that, I have no comment because I, A, I haven't really researched it that much. But yeah, I mean, he said it from what I can tell. And, you know, I've heard responses like, yeah, he's trying to sell a book. Yeah, okay trying to sell a book so maybe that's a motive um has he lost his mind i don't know him so uh, what i would do with that information is i would file it away in, into the folder that says interesting and yeah. i just i have no way of confirming it so so this might sound surprising but as much as i'm interested in this topic the truth is i have not seen any evidence that there are extraterrestrials that have crashed i have there is no evidence hmm. we haven't seen that evidence what I do know is true is that is that high-ranking people, credible people, are saying that that is plausibly true, and just that statement alone, again, is newsworthy. But I want to I I want to maintain a skeptical perspective on this issue, but I also want to be open to being skeptical about skepticism too on this issue. What do and you make open, of Bob yeah. Lazar's claims? of of that evidence <laughs> yes yeah yeah bob lazar is an interesting uh, figure from what i can tell most i mean look I, there's no way i can independently confirm any of this stuff <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know but but um I, i'll say this the guy who broke the story george knapp is um a very reliable uh, reporter i mean he's a works at the cbs affiliate in las vegas and most people know of area 51 because of George Knapp's uh, story that broke it. And, and, and he featured Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar um, claimed to have worked out there and got inside a, a craft. He saw nine crafts, that uh, spacecraft that were out, that were not human, yada, yada, yada. I mean, the, the story is in, in, in a cultural, kind of the part of the UFO cultural lore, right? So it's interesting. Um, and I, I like George Knapp. I, I think he does great work on this. Um, the there's a lot of stuff well so when you pay attention to people like Lou Elizondo and Chris Mellon and these people who are in the news today Pentagon workers they don't in my opinion seem to put a lot of stock into the Bob Lazar story mm. and so and that's important for me because these are people who would have had access and and you know the story goes that Bob Lazar has kept his story straight for so long you know he's always told the same story and and, and and there are a lot of people who say, actually, no, he hasn't. You know, he's actually changed it and he's been inconsistent and so forth. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just have no way of confirming. Yeah, it's it's a pretty crazy story, um, but I don't I'd love to talk to him. Uh, me so too. If Bob, if Bob listens to the show, let, <laughs> I know. Bob, give he's me a, a call. I want to talk I, to you. I will. Yeah, I will definitely say he is a hard read to. I always just look for like, does he believe what he's saying? And like, mm -hmm. he is a tough read. Like, he seems like it. But man, you know, he does sound convincing. I'll, I'll grant it. Yeah. Tell but, but I'm also not naive. There are people who are really good liars. Okay? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and they, they the do thing. that not by knowing that they're lying per se, but by convincing themselves that the story is true. That's exactly. So like I planted memory and stuff. I'm, I'll say this. I'm not convinced by the Bob Lazar story. Okay. Yeah. If it's true, that's pretty cool. If it's not, I'm not going to be surprised. <laughs> right. Sure. So I, I keep a very, um, 
I, I let me say this as much as I love George Knapp and I really do I, I I do I I'm very I'm I'm very I'm very interested in what Lou thinks and Chris Mellon think and so um yeah I'll just yeah that's so, all I, I don't have much more comment yeah no 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 that yeah yeah just pure pure thing so um with uh with the time we got left what and obviously we're we're big into like just what do you think territory um but you might have some educated opinions on it so uh, essentially the question i'm dancing around is so what does it mean what should it mean what can it mean like to christians to our faith what would change if um it comes out aliens ufos these are these are a real thing extraterrestrial intelligent life and kind of with that what do you make of the um i i guess I'll, i mean i'll call it a fairly prevalent belief in um kind of uh you know the christian spaces that are in the nephilim and all that that are convinced you know things like project blue beam that we are being set up for a false first contact with aliens and that is going to be the great deception and that is going to be where the demonic activity comes from um so what what yeah, i've heard those theories too <laughs> yeah. yeah thoughts on thoughts on all of that, that. Yeah, all of that well to answer your question straight up if we ever found extraterrestrials or they ever made contact with the with us or whatnot we ever came to if we ever came to find out that there's extraterrestrials would it damage the christian faith and the answer is no there, I, i'm just not convinced that it would um and, I, and again i try to maintain a level of skepticism and and uh as much as i can about it pretty much everything right um, but no, it wouldn't impact our our place in the world uh, in the sense that, it, yeah, it, it would impact our place in the world in the sense that we're not alone. We're not the only ones living in this neighborhood. I get that. But it wouldn't impact our calling as divine image bearers mm. by no means, because to be an image bearer of God is just a, it's a calling. It's not, has nothing to do with whether we're alone in the universe. It's just, that's our calling in this, on this earth to show forth God, right? Um, and if so, there are other creatures in the world, perhaps they have different callings, perhaps, you know, whatever, right? Um, I mentioned this on Preston's podcast, when it comes to extraterrestrials, it's important to remember that that's a hypothesis with respect mm. to the UFO thing. Uh, so it's, it's, it's really hard. I'm open to this. I'm open to the ET hypothesis, but it's just really hard for me to think that, that ET came here. Me okay. too. It's 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 such a long distance that they would have to traverse to get here. I mean, we're talking. So, I don't know. Maybe there's a way. Maybe maybe they send drones, and you know, maybe all we're seeing are drones. I don't know. But um, so I'm open to it. You know, Professor Avi Loeb at, at Harvard thinks that he it's very plausible to be able to detect artifacts from alien civilizations that are just floating around in the universe and maybe in our solar system. So this is a Harvard professor, Avi Loeb. And I, th I find that fascinating. I completely support his work and we need more people doing what he's doing. And so because, he's saying we can do that and we have found nothing is what he's saying. Um. So or or saying like we need to pursue this to look ourselves. Yeah, we need to pursue this and look for okay. ourselves like he's just he's wanting science to be scientific and let's ask yeah. questions and don't be afraid of the stigma. And um. yeah, I, Avi's an amazing guy. I love what he's doing. I support what he's doing, you know. Even if I'm skeptical about the UFO, I mean the the ET hypothesis, I I find it more intriguing to entertain the idea that what people are seeing is is a reality that 
we don't understand yet, but and if it is intelligent, then maybe it's a different form of life in the sense that it's much closer to home. You know, it may not, it may, maybe, um, you know, the, the dimensional, are we talking dimensional? Yeah. Perhaps dimensional or perhaps, um, temporal. You know, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one hypothesis that people talk about. There's a professor, I think his name's Michael Masters. He's a anthropologist, a PhD. And he thinks that, you know, the that these are not et from another planet but these are like future humans or something mm -hmm. like that right so it's pretty interesting that's an interesting hypothesis um so you have that the, the temporal terrestrial or the ultra terrestrial that these are just another species that live on this earth we just can't see them for whatever reason and i, f I find that pretty interesting i have never that's I, yeah. I well i guess i guess i've like heard of that but not that name that's extremely interesting so basically like yeah. they're they've been here all the time they are here and we just well man. gary nolan and gary nolan a professor at stanford has entertained the idea he's not saying this is the case mm -hmm. but he's enter he's entertained the idea that perhaps these things have been here longer than we have this is Ooh. their home too you know gary nolan is a fascinating guy i'm gonna write I've, that down yeah g-a-r-r-y-n-o-l-a-n and um stanford professor and um yeah he's got a fascinating story how he got into this topic but but yeah i mean he entertains that idea and and so i think if you survey what the ufo community is saying i mean the serious researchers right the, the academics and so forth and not to say you have to be an academic to be a serious researcher but i'm just saying the people those are just the people i read and what they're saying is that 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 you don't get the impression that they're jumping on the et hypothesis at least by the majority they're entertaining a lot of things and and that's just personally kind of what i would like to entertain and and you know whatever and the thing with here's the thing um i don't think the et hypothesis makes sense of the entire phenomena i think there are things that happen that et hypothesis can't explain um because when it comes to this topic there are, there's there are, a lot of times are associated with it poltergeist paranormal weirdness almost like a precognition element to the mm -hmm. whole phenomenon, you know, and the ET hypothesis, okay, maybe they're manipulating our minds or whatever, but you know, there seems, there just seems to be something else going on. Um, and so, uh, it's possible that, and, and by the way, that, that might even be the case for the, for the, uh, temporal, um, like future human hypothesis too. I don't know, but the, what I what I think is we need we need a way we need a hypothesis that can account for all the data, you know, and and that's yeah that that that's probably a whole another episode. But I don't feel like the ET hypothesis does that. I could be wrong. I'm open to it again, you know. And and, and here's the other thing: maybe it's not one phenomenon. It could be a multiple uh, thing. That that's that's even more of a uh, yeah. noodle baker. Like the the it's like we're assuming that what we are experiencing is this ubiquitous thing. And once we figure out what that one thing is, we're good. But yeah, what if, what if it's aliens looking at the alien? I mean, there's an infinite number of, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's uh, it's wild stuff. It's, it's a man. complex it's topic. Stuff. Yeah. You can't, you can say that some reported sightings are mistaken. Okay. Mm -hmm. But you can't say they're all mistaken that. So the mistaken the, that this is all just a mistake of misinterpretation or whatever that, that that doesn't account for the whole phenomenon and so or the whole phenomena and so we want a theory a hypothesis that can account for everything and so there was one professor um what's what's his college called benedictine college he's a philosophy professor he recently uh, wrote an article on his website 
and uh, gosh, I forgot his name. Anyway, um, he wrote an article that um, basically he he's he he's saying that yeah, it's possible philosophically and biologically for there to be another species here that calls Earth home that we just cannot detect. And, and, and perhaps we have, and this is what he says, that we've evolved such that we, you know, you only evolve for what your species needs to, um, you propagate, know, needed yeah. to live and propagate and stuff like that. And so maybe we didn't evolve with the senses that we need to detect other realms or whatever that are very physical, you know, and so um, I think he uses the example of a tick. Ticks can only sense, you know, a certain range of things. And they can't sense things that you would think they could, like they can't, you know, see bodies necessarily, but they can, I guess, feel the warmth of blood. I, I don't know. It's really weird. And so, so this is a, a biological sort of um, approach, and and he offers that view. I'm not saying he's right about any of that. I'm just saying that that's one view that an academic is taking. And and by the way, you know, let me just say the obvious, and I'll be quite here and 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 let you talk. But I, I think, um, you know, used to. The, the perception was that only kooks talked about this top, topic. But what we're seeing now are, you know, published authors doing peer review work, um, and academics and things like that. They're talking about, they're actually proposing hypotheses. The question, if UFOs are real, that's an outdated question. It seems to be a consensus these days among those who are writing that the UFO top, that, that the UFO phenomena is a real phenomenon. The only question is, what is it? That right there is interesting. <laughs> Just yeah. from a historical perspective, we've come so far, I guess you know, and whatnot, and um, and and so that's that's interesting to me. And the other thing is, it's a myth that academics are just now interested in this they're you know academics not a not as many today but in the past academics have been interested in this they just never talked about it and they did their research privately i mean at least some right so there's this idea of the quote-unquote invisible college that diana pasoka in her book american cosmic talks about and this book was published by oxford university press like the best publisher you could you know arguably hope for if you're in that field and um, and she talks about the Invisible College. Jacques Vallée, uh, Dr. Jacques Vallée, computer information scientist. I think he coined the term. You know, so there there have been people in the past who talked about this, um, and so forth. So J. Allen Hynek is a PhD astronomer who you know of course was part of Project Blue Book, and and he wrote an amazing book on this in the seventies. I read it. It's been a while since I read it, but um, but yeah, over time he came to the conclusion that there's something to the phenomenon. And that seems to be the consensus today among academics who are working in this field. There are skeptics, and we need the skeptics. We need we need their their voice too. Um, but but those who but I, I'll just say that there's a lot of academics working in this now more than we realize, perhaps. That's awesome. That's awesome. I think that's a good um that's a good summation um and a good rest, good stopping point um uh point people to um your blog and any anything else you would like to uh, promote. Yeah, I mean, I've written, uh, I guess if you're interested in what I've said about this elsewhere, I mean, I, obviously this podcast, I was on Preston's podcast talking about it recently, the, that's called Theology in the Raw. Um, and then I've written an article for Logos, which is a biblical studies theology website. And you can find that you, you can find all, all the stuff on my on my website, matthewhalstead.com. And um, social media, you can follow me on social media too, or whatever. So 
Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for and, thanks for having me on the show, man. This is this oh, of course, fun. of course, of course. Um, send me an email, churchandotherdrugs at gmail dot com, uh, patreon dot com slash churchandotherdrugs, and storefrontier dot com slash churchandotherdrugs. Ten men, were you ever alive, or was I just a seed buried deep? Inside some woman you went Right before you crawled Out of her bed and crept down the hall Did you think of me? Did you even for a second hesitate In the doorway It's just something that I like to know Though I'd still love you if you told me That you just walked away My God Inch their way up your arm My mother taught my brothers and I Not to call you daddy But to call